Welcome to the Fratello Podcast. We're on episode 11. I'm Mike Stockton, coming to you from Frankfurt, Germany. And I'm Robert Jan, and I'm coming to you from The Hague. You didn't even say your last name. How do we know that's really you? Oh well, yeah, we have two two Robs on board now. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, it's Robert Jan Broer, which is uh, brother, which is Fratello. So it's been a while. I checked and uh, we were January 21st and here we are in late February, but um, it's been We all- recorded one in between <laughs> with Daniel and Balash, but it was like a two and a half hour recording. Um, yeah, I don't have to tell you uh, whose fault was that. Um, so it was, <laughs> it was just a, a, a too much to edit. And I think some of the things have been... Um, passed by um, by reality basically and uh, we will uh, speak about that uh, a bit later on yeah well it has been a while and uh, you've been traveling i i was traveling a bit um i was in the us of a last week at uh, disney in orlando and then i went on a cruise and not to get into that other than yeah it was a good time um and for anybody out there who's scared of going on a Disney cruise, uh, it was actually really nice. Uh, but the cruise left out of uh, Port Canaveral, and it was pretty neat because you could see uh, the Kennedy Space Center and Cape Canaveral from the port. So you could actually see the big NASA building where they house the uh, rockets inside from, I mean, it's quite a distance, I would say, but on a good day, it, it, it looks a lot closer than it really is. And when we came back in from the cruise, we ended up taking a, uh, an Uber from, from the port back to uh, one of the Disney parks where we stayed for another night. And I was talking to the driver just about the rockets. And he said, first of all, he, he could see them from his, uh, from his hot tub in the, uh, in the backyard and he said these rockets are going off so frequently now; it's incredible. So it's pretty neat. Um, all the private um, launches they're doing, and and all these different companies like SpaceX, and you got Boeing in there, and uh, yeah, just just a lot happening. So that was kind of a neat space-related uh, factoid that uh, that I ran across while I was there. So cool. Yeah. Yeah, I've been uh, traveling myself as well quite a bit. Um, I think there was one week this year that I didn't travel. Um, I think one of the, the big events was, of course, at um, um, LVMH Watch Week. And the rest was all uh, private appointments with brands uh, and so on. Um, so, yeah, it was a lot of traveling, but um, I think that will uh, quickly <laughs> come to an end, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> with yeah. with the latest news um, today, we got the news that Watches and Wonders is being cancelled. Yeah. Um, so we are more or less waiting for Basel World to come with a response, and perhaps um, when this has been uh, broadcasted or published, um, the news is out. But um, yeah, it's going to be exciting uh, to say the least. And uh, but we'll get back to that later. I think it's first time for the. Handgelenk controle. Also, 
Yeah. So before we get into a few topics, we'll we'll do a risk check. So I'll I'll go first if that's all right this week. Um. So yeah. Well, I was in the the U.S. of A. I picked up something that um had well, my parents actually ordered it for uh, I guess it was Christmas or something. Um, but I decided to uh, pick up a an SKX O eleven. Uh, so that's the orange model with the gold highlights or the gold numbers on the bezel and the gold hands. Um, but I got a an SKO, SKX-011J, so a made-in-Japan model. And I think a lot of you are pretty familiar with uh, Joma Shop. Um, they sell all kinds of watches. I guess they're kind of known as a, a gray market dealer as well for, for Swiss watches. And... Um, during the holiday period, they had some crazy sales on, and or and, and the um, the SKX you could get one. You know, they send these different codes to put in, and I want to say shipped. This thing was around two hundred and twenty-five bucks or something like that. Which, for any of you who've been following Amazon and the various places, um, the SKX prices have slowly crept up. I think uh, you have dealers certainly taking advantage of the fact or being a little bit opportunistic uh, of the fact that these are, are now out of production. Um, but anyhow, I got the watch and it's interesting because it's, it's even stated on the Joma shop uh, website that when you order one of these uh, Japan made pieces, the date wheel alternates between English and strangely Arabic. I don't know why uh, not Japanese kanji, um, but it is a cool watch and I wanted to have one. Um, I have worn it. I kind of thought briefly, ah, do I just kind of leave it in a box and not wear it? But that didn't strike me as right. And, um, when I got back to Europe, I compared it to the SKX 007 I have, um, which is a 2012 model as like a Spanish date wheel. And, you know, I bought that, you know, living here in Germany and I compared the two and there actually are some differences. So there's some differences with the dial. There's some differences actually with the case finishing, uh, which I was actually surprised with, but sure enough, I went out to the uh, trusty internet and looked up differences between J and non J and the things that I had kind of come to a conclusion on my own as differences were the exact same things that other people <laughs> came to uh, the same conclusion on. So I am probably going to do one more article on the SKX for our site to kind of send it off into the, uh, into pasture, but I'll, I'll just sort of compare and contrast the two because I think for, for people, this has been a longstanding argument. Ah, should I get the Japanese version or not? Is it really better? And people saying, no, there's no difference, but there are some subtle differences. I don't think, um, when prices were really low and there was this hundred dollar difference um, in the two, it's I don't think it's worth it. But now that we're dealing with prices that are they're actually kind of similar to to each other on places like Amazon, I think it is worth getting the Japanese version. So more to come, but yeah, it's a cool watch. It's a classic. What can I say? I am uh, wearing a watch that's not not my own, and um, I regret that it? it's not my own. No, okay. <laughs> it is gold. Oh, I know what this is. Yeah, 
and it's on a leather strap and it's a bulgari uh, octo finissimo um yeah in gold uh with black dial a black alligator strap and a gold uh, buckle i don't think and, um, i don't think you could have picked a more contrasting watch to what i just spoke about could you have <laughs> no i think so but it's, it's um, pretty yeah, it's pretty exactly different but it's cool it's very different yeah <laughs> it's in the other end of the spectrum i guess yeah um, very so no, today I picked up uh, three uh, Bulgari watches, Octo Finissimo, um, the full black one, the f- the stainless steel one uh, that was just uh, introduced, and this gold one. Uh, so all three are from uh, introduced earlier this year, and uh, I have to say I'm wearing the gold one now for a couple of hours, and um, yeah, you just d- don't notice it's there. I was wearing my uh, gold Globemaster uh, in the morning, and then I switched. And uh, there's quite a difference. It's in weight. It, there's a difference, yeah. but definitely also in, in in thickness. And where the Globemaster is always like um, uh, a little on more your wrist, formidable, right? Yeah, so. yeah. And it's there. You feel the presence. It's always there. And with the uh, Bulgari, I have to say, at some point, you don't forget about it because you know you're wearing a very cool piece, but you don't feel it. Hmm. And that's a bit of a strange. Um, experience to be honest but um yeah it's really nice it's 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 very cool and i have to say i also uh, uh, put on this, this the full stainless steel uh model for uh, a few moments and uh, i would really have a hard time choosing um between the two if the price the price would be the same uh, more or less um because i think they look also very good on a leather strap mm. um the stainless steel bracelet, it, it really uh, uh, impressed me when I was in Dubai, and it, it, it still impresses me. It's really well done. And uh, I think, as I said before, perhaps I would rather be after a, a Bulgari uh, Octo Finissimo in steel than a, than a AP Royal Oak 15202 at the moment. But, um, yeah, the gold one is something else, and it's also very nice to have it on a, on a leather strap. It's very comfortable, and... Um, yeah, it it just uh, wears a bit and it looks a bit different than a than a stainless steel or what are, what are uh, the titanium bracelet. What are the prices for the two? Uh, the steel is eleven uh, point something, and the gold one I have to uh, I don't know I have to check. I can do it in the meantime. That's not no problem. I guess it's um, I don't guess. I think it's uh, uh, around twenty something or even close to 20 okay um something like that i will look it up so we've got a few topics for today um first off we're going we are going to address this uh uh, cancellation of various events and uh, it's related to the uh, coronavirus although i'm gonna add a little bit of food for thought and you know rj can give his opinion as well. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about servicing your watch, um, your vintage watch, your watch, uh, because these are questions we get a lot, um, here at Fratello. I think all of us do. And then well, let, let me get back to the, to the prices. I found oh, yeah. the prices. Okay. So the steel one is 11.9 in euros. Okay. I also have the black ceramic version here. I didn't put it on yet. It's, it's, it's not really for me, but uh, of course we will put it on the website as well. It's fifteen point five k in euro, and the rose gold that I have on a strap is twenty two. So okay. yeah, a bit over twenty. Got it. Got it. 
Good. So, so yeah, so, so we'll hit the, uh, the recent events. We'll, we'll talk about servicing or watch, and then we'll end up with uh, just kind of an open discussion on Seiko and Grand Seiko, knowing that um, we're kind of on the, on the, on the border of their new releases, or at least more of their new releases um, in the wake of uh, at least the Grand Seiko the canceled event in Japan, but uh, we've got some stuff coming up for them, but we'll talk a little bit about what's been going on with them. I mean, I have some thoughts and I think RJ, you've got some thoughts as well, just yeah. on their activity over the last call it six to 12 months um, and how they've been moving, let's say up in the market and releasing a lot of different things. So, so let's kind of start off with the, with the recent news. I mean, I, I think you, you would very much have to be, living under a rock or, um, or perhaps lucky enough to be on a very long cruise without any kind of uh, Wi-Fi like I had last week, um, to not notice the recent events related to the coronavirus and sort of the kind of the different reactions that it's causing throughout the world. Um, especially as this spreads, uh, into different places outside of China. And we've seen a number of watch-related events, like Watches and Wonders, the Grand Seiko event now in uh, in, in Japan, canceled. Um, and it's obvious. I mean, people are concerned about traveling. People or companies are concerned about traveling and inviting guests to to areas where you know perhaps they're exposed to something. Um, and and you can certainly appreciate that. Um, you know what what what's interesting here and and. I mean, convenient is the wrong word, but we've seen these large shows like Basil and Watches and Wonders for several years now continue to decline in terms of both attendance and attend, uh, let's say, brands that are that are actually showing there. And uh, I would actually contend um, that uh, before the cancellation uh, of these events, I think a, a, a lot of brands going back before this, uh, this coronavirus situation, we're already having a pretty tough time, um, primarily due to, you know, China, uh, just being a difficult market, trade tensions and different things like that. But more importantly, uh, Hong Kong, uh, with the protests, uh, and that being a very volatile area. Um, for those who don't know out there, uh, Hong Kong, I think up until last year was the the number one export market in the world, which yeah. if, if you've never been to Hong Kong, it is an incredibly small place, but it is one of the most highly concentrated centers of wealth um, staying there. And then of course, visiting there. And I am not overstating it uh, within a certain area of Hong Kong to say that Rolex boutiques are, there with a frequency that is similar to Starbucks in Manhattan. I mean, truly, you see the Rolex coronet on every corner uh, in some areas to, to the point where you think, well, everybody should have one of these because there are just so many there. And that, of course, doesn't even begin to talk about all, all the other brands who are there in, um, w- with many different boutiques or, or, or uh, shops selling them. So uh, to me, um, I think the the watch companies, especially who are heavily reliant on those markets, were already having a tough time. And uh, 
look, the coronavirus is, is a very, very understandable reason not to not to go to an event or not to have an event because it is uncertain at this point. But um, I'm not so sure how difficult a choice it was for some brands to to uh, decide to to excuse themselves. I think it was a it was a real good way to potentially save some save some money honestly, and what is going to be a very tough year. So yeah, I don't know, RJ, if you, you had any additional thoughts or any thoughts on kind of, of, of what's been going on around that, but. Yeah, we already saw it, as you said, in the, in, in Hong Kong, Hong Kong is the most important export market. Um, Swiss Federation, they publish um, export numbers every month. And uh, Hong Kong has been declining ever since, and uh, so that, that was that was already, uh, I think, a, a, a big, um, um, yeah, letdown for a lot of brands who were doing otherwise quite okayish. It's good that the U.S. market is very strong for them. I, I think, mm-hmm. um, at least for, for, I hope so for some of these brands, uh, because that compensates a bit. And now, what what what's happening right now um, made it really go, uh, yeah downward like a in, in a spiral basically um with with the virus with the coronavirus the numbers are really low and especially if you're depending so much on these countries that have been hit um i think you're really in trouble yeah yeah i mean it's going to be interesting i mean it, you know this article got a lot of press about um the apple watch of course outselling the entire swiss industry which I actually don't know how surprising that is, <laughs> um, but uh, it, it does it does seem like after let's say a relative uh, number of years uh, doing pretty well now, um, this is going to be this is going to be a challenging period. So, you know, certainly I think all of us here at Fortello are excited to see everything that's coming out, whether we have to see it remotely, whether we have to see it at our local, uh, you know, uh, company owned boutique, uh, if they do a road show, um, and we'll be here reporting everything, but it is, you know, yet one more challenge, I would say being thrown to not only the watch brands, but also the show organizers of some of these shows that have been around for decades. So, yeah, it's a big change. I think that a lot of brands they uh, they will do local events. From what I heard, that uh, they will they will go to the to the different countries and regions and uh, present their uh, new watches. Um, which is uh, on the one hand that's good. On the other hand, um, it makes it more difficult to get everything all out at once. Yep. Um, as as media like we are, we don't want to push press releases with stock pictures all the time. So if we don't want that, we need to get the pieces. We either we go there or they come to us. Um, but yeah, just sending out press releases, uh, uh, yeah, will be a bit difficult because uh, uh, we like to to talk about the watches, how we how we th- how we experience these watches, and um, um, I think that's our strength. That's the strength of strength of other titles as well that uh, are similar to us, and that will be a, a big challenge. Because normally we would go one week to SIHH uh, and one week to Baselworld. And now if all these brands do their own local events or, or individual events, uh, it will be traveling every week and, and perhaps even more than that yeah. um, to get everything uh, everything out there. So what I also see is that 
now more than ever, I think brands, they will also rely a bit on us, on, on media, um, to get exposure for their for their watches. I think they need to. Yeah, and I mean, on that, on that front, I guess uh, it's another change, right? Because certainly in the last five years or so, we've seen uh, a much more openness from the brands to, to work with online publications versus yeah before that period. So more change, but yeah, it's going to be interesting and certainly we'll be watching it closely. So, um, and yeah, my only public service announcement after doing a lot of travel and you would probably say this too for everyone, wash your hands a lot. So, <laughs> and for 20 seconds, I've been told. Yep, 20 seconds. There's all kinds of signs like that at uh, where I work. <laughs> so, not 19, 20. But, uh, yeah. so, good. So, so let's kind of move on because the next topic is something that, uh, as mentioned, we get a lot of a lot of questions on it for Tello and that's about servicing your watch and where to find, you know, this part or that part, especially on a vintage watch. Um, and people often say, Hey, I'm located in this region. Who's good to service this type of watch. Um, you know, when do you use uh, factory service versus um, an independent repair? And, I, I was thinking about this a little bit. Um, I, I think sometimes because we get a lot of mail, we're into vintage watches. Um, people feel like we've got an amazing sort of endless access to uh, rare parts. And I will tell you that that's not the case. Um, if, uh, if you are, a close watcher or on certain forums every so often you'll see me, although I use a various varying numbers of names, but um, you'll see me out there asking for some crystal or crown or something like that. And I bring up forums because these days everybody's on Instagram. I know there are Facebook groups out there, but you know, Instagram seems to be the big thing. Um, but this is where no matter what, you know, 20 odd years later, I still think the forums have real relevance because, you know, you have these communities that um, can sometimes be a little bit uh, difficult to, to maneuver attitude wise, but by and large are good people on these forums and very knowledgeable and um, they can help you often with parts and they can also help you in giving advice on service. Um, there are all kinds of niche watchmakers out there who focus on specific brands and different things. I mean, we've talked about Seiko before how, you know, people fixing Rolexes often aren't interested in fixing Seikos. It's just a, a different thing. It's a different price point. Um, and going into the forums and asking those questions, establishing yourself and, and creating a bit of a reputation there people are very forthcoming and willing to help. So um, this is the answer I usually give. Um, I, I do give names every so often, but oftentimes, because I live in Europe, um, it's somebody writing from the US or somewhere else who, or even the UK, who doesn't want to ship their watch to another country. And I get it. So forums, I, I think this is a great thing. Um, 
I don't know, RJ, what do you think? It's the same with, with reviews you, you, you read from restaurants and hotels and so on. Mm-hmm. It's all, always, of course, a bit biased. Um, people who have a, a good uh, experience, they, they probably will not always vent their opinion on a forum. And pe- people who have bad experience probably will always do. Yeah. Um, and that makes it difficult because I think there are a lot of good watchmakers out there and they're very uh, qualified to do things. Um, it's just very difficult to... Um, yeah, to make the distinction, the distinction between the good and the, and, the, and, the, and the bad ones, or the ones that that yeah, you don't want to ship your watch to. So I think it's very depending on uh, who who you're asking or who is basically answering your question uh, on on a forum. Um, what I do believe is what you say is that uh, a watchmaker that is very good in in Rolex, for example doesn't necessarily have to be very good at Seiko watches or uh, other brands. So I think you really, per watch, you need to determine what needs to be done and what the best watchmaker is for that brand or specific type of watch. And that's basically how I always worked with my watches. If I need to do something with uh, with the Seiko, I, I have some addresses. Um, with Rolex, it's uh, as our own Fratel in-house watchmaker, Paul, always said, says, I can just drink while servicing Rolex watches. <laughs> so it's yeah, it just depends a bit on on where you want to uh, where you want to go with your watch and which watch it is. Uh, uh, with my AP with the Gigelle Culture Movement, it's very difficult. It's it's something I don't really trust to 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 anyone. anyone. And yeah. yeah, and that that's a watch that I then rather have sh- uh, sent to the to the uh, manufacturer in Switzerland than to have someone uh, work on who is not familiar or experienced with that uh, with that watch. So I think you really need to check a watchmaker that is that is able to repair or service uh, the specific watch that you have at that time. Um, and if you have like a couple of different brands in your collection, it could be very well the case that you need a, a few different watchmakers for those watches. Yeah. No, that's a really, really good point. Um, yeah, and the, the other thing I think that uh, people are often very surprised about is how long it takes to get a watch serviced, especially if it is of the vintage type. Um, certainly in the last five, 10 years, vintage watches have become far more popular. And mm-hmm. watchmakers, I mean, this was kind of a dying, uh, this was a dying skill, and now these folks are in a lot of demand. And if you've ever driven by a vintage car restoration shop and seen 20 cars sitting out in the, uh, in the front of the, uh, the shop, all in various states of uh, disrepair, I would say it sometimes, and, and somebody takes their car there and it takes over a year. Sometimes I get the feeling that's how it's, how, how it is when you send a watch. Um, yeah. These folks are busy. And so what's the longest time you had to wait Oh, I think I've waited probably over six months. And some of that was, I I think it's been twice I've had that happen. Once was due to just purely being busy and once was waiting on trying to find a part. Yeah. Um, How about you? I had a pocket watch that needed over a year, um, and it's the same issue. It was about parts. I had a vintage Omega Constellation with a caliber f- 
501, 503, can't remember, very early one um, that also needed approximately a year for uh, finding the right part. And there was an, like an independent watchmaker, so it was not Omega or, or something official. Um, perhaps that would have helped or not, I don't know. Um, but also, I've, it's not only with with new watches; it's uh, vintage watches. It's al- always also with new watches that um, sometimes it just takes very long. I had a um, I had a Royal Oak fifteen three hundred that needed. Uh, I think the only thing that was necessary was that there was a little uh, dust pickle or a little hair or something on a dial need, needed to be removed. Mm-hmm. Six months. Wow. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. So, so also for new watches. And there I have to say that Rolex is really strong. It's uh, uh, four to six weeks. At, lo- at least when I serviced my Rolex watches a few years ago, that was the, the, the duration, which is good, I think. <laughs> um, from what I've been told from, from uh, Grand Seiko is that their uh, uh, time to service a, a Grand Seiko is like three weeks, which I think is really quick oh that's fast um but these are official addresses of course um i think with our own watchmaker it also depends a bit on how much is on his table and can you cut the line or not yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair um yeah it all depends a bit i had my stepbrother has a minerva pitagore mm. um it's a caliber 48 or 49 i think um it's a cool watch. yeah and th- that took a while as well because it, as it seemed, some of the parts were already uh, replaced at some point and they were not really fitting properly. And that, yeah, that, of course, it either damages or takes long to, to get original parts again from a non-existing brand. Um, well, they've been um, acquired by Mont Blanc, but I guess that's a different Minerva. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I have a couple of examples for, for things that take very long, but I also have uh, the luck sometimes it goes really fast also with uh, uh with our own watchmaker if i really need something quick i always ask him ask him that i i it would be nice if this could be done quick and then sometimes he surprises me that it's done next week <laughs> um and if i don't say anything if i say well take your time i don't care then it takes long yeah it's as simple as that yeah yeah it's a bit of uh taking and giving sometimes i feel with your watchmaker you have to uh, build a good relationship and then if things really are not in a hurry, just say that they are not in a hurry. And if there is a bit of rush, then just uh, indicate that there is a bit of rush. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think neither of us are hurting for that watch to get back tomorrow. But sometimes you get something that, um, yeah, you're excited to get back. Uh, so you have that anticipation but um yeah sometimes i think for me when i when i asked if it could be done quick it was uh when it was uh, right before an event or something yeah. you know that you want to bring the watch or show the watch or whatever yeah. that it would be nice to have that particular watch and then uh, well that uh, if if he if he could then he did and uh, that worked fine and um otherwise i'm like you say i'm i'm not really in a rush never because um yeah i have enough watches to uh, to wear to wear yeah yeah, and I'll, and I'll and I'll give one other tip. I mean, for for people who buy vintage watches, and people have sent me pictures of watches that are, you know, cracked crystal, missing crown, this type of thing. I mean, obviously, before you send something to your watchmaker, send pictures, 
talk about whether or not he or she has the parts or or has access to the parts. And I mean, I always find, especially being on a forum and talking about a watch and getting the serial number for certain parts or going to, uh, I believe it's Bole, B-O-L-E-Y. You can look up different types of parts for Seikos and Citizens. Um, I always find it's better for me to source the parts, especially if I know it's something cosmetic um, and send it along with the watch. It just helps. Yeah. And um, it's just one less thing for your busy watchmaker to have to go out and do. So, you know, try to do that as well. I I think it always helps. Um, You know, that period that I had a six month wait, I've mentioned it in a story and maybe on the show here, but I was waiting for a winding pinion on an Excelsior Park movement, which is a kind of a weird thing. And uh, the watchmaker was looking and I was looking. And the funny thing was he found one. And I think two days later, I got an email from somebody who had one. So, but it took us, I think, a month and a half or two months to find the part. So, you know, that I would not have known beforehand, but certainly if they're looking for something, I always ask, Hey, what is it? And I can go check my sources as well. So just some, just some tips. Yeah. Good. Good. So on to topic number three, which is Seiko and Grand Seiko. And yeah, I I thought we would have an open discussion. We really didn't talk about this before the show. So it's a little bit unscripted, but you know, there's been a lot of talk about, I I think on the Seiko side, the fact that uh, the brand continues to move in an upscale fashion and, you know, for example, the SKX that I brought up at the beginning, um, being an example of uh, a watch that's no longer made. And clearly there are other choices now, but one could say at the same price point, it doesn't have the same exact specs. And, you know, then your next best choice is a hundred or two hundred dollars more than what the old SKX cost. Um, and then on the Grand Seiko side, um, at least I've noticed over the last several years that the watches have changed from being what I would call very serious and I don't think in a bad way, but plain watches um, to much more colorful, expressive, and, you know, if I'm being honest, uh, a much larger focus on limited edition models than perhaps in the past. Um, mm-hmm. And, I think we have to consider with both Seiko and Grand Seiko, these, these two brands have thankfully become a whole lot more global. Um, you know, where in the past we were always complaining about how the Japanese market got so much more quantity or, or so much more selection, um, but also had access to a lot of special models. And uh, I think perhaps you know, the, the more global exposure for both of these brands has also led them to start making watches that are, let's say more in line with maybe what different markets want more colorful, bigger, brighter, whatever it is. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll let you start or Jan, what you think uh, has been going on at these two brands and whether you think everything's good or whether you have some concerns. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it could be a long one. <laughs> um, it's okay. No, but 
I think in general, if I look at uh, um, both brands, actually, um, I feel. Let me let me let me say this first. I feel that Grand Seiko and Seiko are a bit of the perhaps an unfair statement, but a bit of the like the bloggers' uh, darlings. Uh, everyone seems to love Seiko and, and Grand Seiko, and they get away with a lot because of that. Um, also by collectors and enthusiasts, of course, and people on Instagram. I think a lot that Grand Seiko does and Seiko does is really being uh, appreciated. If I look at the number of, of limited editions and special editions and uh, all sorts of, basically, um, if any other brand does the same out there, they will have it. Hmm. <laughs> they get so many comments on these things um, uh, from Takahoyo to Hublot to Omega to Panerai to basically all these brands that do some 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 editions, uh, collaborations and so on. They will get memes. They will get, um, I don't know, nasty comments. And I see with Grand Seiko and Seiko, if they come out with a limited edition or special edition or a certain collaboration, um, people like it. And I think that the tone of voice is a bit different towards Seiko and Grand Seiko than to a lot of other brands that might, might also have to do with um, um, that it's really, really an enthusiast brand. And it's not something that's that you wear uh, um, to, yeah, to pretend something you're not, or I don't know. It's not a status. Uh, it's not a watch about status or a status symbol. Mm. It's a watch that you wear for yourself, and it's a limited edition or special or whatever uh, version you have. I think it's all fine, and nobody, nobody really, yeah, uh, takes. Um, how do you say it? Um, um, yeah, nobody gets upset about it, or no, nobody gets upset about it, mm-hmm. and I think that that's very refreshing. At the one hand, <laughs> on the other hand, I do see that they bring out a lot of limited editions and special editions, and what I found find a bit upsetting about that mm-hmm. is that uh, Grand Seiko still does a lot of certain editions for specific markets, yeah. while I know that these watches will will sell like hotcakes in Europe as well, for example, mm-hmm. watches that are only for the US uh, or only for Japan. And it's a given, I think, because there are a lot of JDM models that people are really happy to import themselves uh, um, in Europe and in the US. Mm. So, you know, you mentioned that people are more forgiving with Seiko or more accepting, let's say, with Seiko and Grand Seiko to come out with these special edition models. And I mean, on the whole, I agree with you. Um, I I do think that in the last several months, I have noticed a little bit of, uh, I don't know, to use a French word, ennui um, regarding some of these uh, limited editions. It does feel a little bit like um, perhaps this is getting to be... um, yeah, it's it, it. It I'm concerned that it's getting on the verge of of a little bit too much, honestly. Um, so, like an example, and and I own this uh, modern interpretation of the 6159, this Ginza edition. This uh, it's got mm-hmm. a green dial with uh, gold uh, highlights and or maybe non gold highlights. But then there's a version I think that was made for. Other markets, I think the U.S. and Europe that we did the review on, that's a green version with gold highlights. So it's very, very similar. Yeah, and 
I'll admit, I mean, okay, my watchers like 300 of them or something. It's a pretty tough watch to find, which kind of makes it somewhat exclusive, but it looks pretty darn similar to the other one, you know? And, yeah. but it, but it's just sort of, I, I wonder if it's getting to be close to too much or too much too often. Um, because it's tough to keep up with now, honestly, it is. And, and maybe, and maybe, and and this is okay. This is me being pretty, pretty straightforward, but I think I'm still a little bit hurt slash frustrated with, uh, last year's, um, non-celebration really of the automatic chronograph movement. And I feel like the releases related to that, um, have were were a little bit um they're a little bit below Easy. what I was expecting. Yeah, they, they they weren't as they if I go back to Seiko limited editions um from some years ago and maybe these were made more special because they really weren't available unless you went to Japan. Um but they for some reason felt more uh exclusive to me or more deeply thought, but but maybe I didn't know the brand well enough for then and it was everything was everything seemed special then and maybe i just know them more now i don't i don't yeah and i also believe that uh, the world has become a bit more transparent yeah for sure so now now you know everything and you see everything that that is being done and i think in the past um it, it was a bit more niche or a bit smaller and not not everything was out there um with, with which yeah if you didn't know you 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 couldn't care because yeah it um you you simply um yeah didn't see this watch or a, a similar watch and i know what you're saying because last year they came with a i think chronograph and um, it was very similar to what they did a, f- a couple of years earlier i think only was titanium or steel yeah. they, they made some yeah. kind of they made a metal small tweaks yeah yeah it was the, and, and that's a pity because i think um they could have done so much for this anniversary of the chronograph yeah. uh yet they didn't um um, where you see other brands like uh, Tag Heuer, uh, Zenith, uh, Omega with their uh, Moonwatch, um, did it, and, and, and Breitling with the Navi Time, did it tremendous um, tributes basically yeah. to these watches or a specific movements, and uh, it, it felt a bit like Seiko was, uh, yeah, they took a like a yeah a shortcut, yeah. And, um, that was a pity. Uh, although I have to say, I like the watch. It's, it's not about that. Um, just it was a bit of a, a shortcut. Um, but I, yeah, I have to say, we did a review on a limited edition Grand Seiko a few months ago. Um, we also still have the video coming up of that, um, of a limited edition that they did together with Timeless, um, a retailer in the US. Um and it was a bit of a mixture, and that's also I really like it. Um, it's like the, the the GMT that I have, the Mount Iwate, mm-hmm. um, but with a yeah with a different dial. Um, and somehow that looks like you just you just mix and match the dial from that model to into the case of that, and a movement from such and uh, and so on. Um, and there, I think it will become more difficult to come with something really original because yeah, if you at some point, did already all combinations. <laughs> it, it becomes a bit, uh, yeah, um, you have to come up with something new. Um, 
having said that, um, I think when this uh, podcast is uh, published, um, some of the official Grand Seiko uh, models will be out. And what I've seen is that they really will come with something uh, refreshing, um, which looks good. And of course, this year is a big year. It's the 60th anniversary of Grand Seiko. It's the 55, 55th anniversary of the divers from uh, Seiko. And um, I think it will be pretty awesome to uh, to see uh, uh, what they've done. And um, yeah, you can easily guess uh, perhaps some models, but I think they also have some really, some really impressive uh, things coming up. Um, unfortunately, the Grand Seiko Summit was uh, cancelled due to the um, well, the virus that we discussed before, mm. <laughs> which uh, which is a pity, but um, I think this is a huge year for Grand Seiko, and it's also one of the reasons that they didn't want to wait till Basel World. Um, um, so yeah, we'll see when they will they will come out with everything, but it will start in March, and um, it will go on the rest of the year. And I think they have some pretty good uh, stuff uh, lined up. I just feel that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Some of the models they did, especially uh, last year with the Chronograph, is a good example. Um, it's too close to stuff they already already did, and at some point you need to stay original. And I don't think it's a bad thing to come with a limited edition or special edition, especially when there are so many enthusiasts and collectors out there that already have the regular version and and just collect and want something to be to to collect. Uh, basically, how I collect my Moonwatch. Uh, a collection i have the normal ones and then at some point you want to have the limited editions the rising suns the snoopies and so on um i think it's the same for uh, grand seiko and seiko collectors you already have some 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 uh, uh yeah models from the the backbone of the of the brands and then you want to have some yeah some iterations basically so i don't think that's a bad thing per se and i think we all also discussed it uh, quite extensively in the past but I think you need to do it in a in the right way as a brand. Yeah, yeah, and and look, I mean, I I, I definitely don't want this to sound like a like a negative uh, a negative Seiko discussion. It's just um, no, they they've changed, and look, they've put a huge amount of effort into to going global. I mean, your comment about Grand Seiko and this is going to be a great year. I mean. That's good because they have spent a lot of money on opening boutiques in places that they weren't in a year ago or two years ago or three years ago. Um, so they clearly need to continue bringing out exciting product. And there's probably, you know, they're, they're in the top three for me or four of brands that I look forward to seeing, you know, what they do yeah, new every year. Um, and Okay, we we talked about how Grand Seiko is no longer the um, let's call it the deal that it once was. Um, but frankly, when it was a deal, it was when nobody knew who they were, and it was just a bunch yeah, of us. And, uh, and, <laughs> and and still, and still, they of course they they released watches last year like the Godzilla, like twelve, thirteen k, and the yeah. and the, I think the hand wound to spring drive models for for eight or nine k the dress watches with the uh, awesome dials. I have to say. Yeah. But they still have their watches, like, and that's also what I mean. They they, they had last year this uh, the seasons uh, collection, yeah. The, these uh, Japan seasons, seasons yeah. these four watches, and um, I find it a pity that it was US only because I really, really, really like them. Yeah. I like the case. The, the, you had the choice between the automatic uh, high beat movement and the and the spring drive. 
these are awesome watches. And then I feel that they do themselves a bit short by not oh, making it globally. like a worldwide release. Yeah. And I hope that they will, they will because they are gearing up definitely and they have to. And you also, like you say, they are one of the big players now. I mean, in the US, they, they are uh, uh, quite high up in the top 10 uh, in, in, in watches in that price category. Um, I was at Watches of Switzerland. I think I've told this before. I was at Watches of Switzerland in, in New York in, I think, October. And they told me that Grand Seiko was after Rolex and Patek. It was their best-selling brand. And I think that's something unthinkable a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. So I think Grand Seiko in the US did a really, really marvelous job. That is a job well done. Um, I just hope that um, the rest of the world will also be, uh, uh, yeah, in the same uh, in the same gear basically as the US. And I think last week, I don't know if you've seen the press release. Um, there will be Grand Seiko Europe, mm-hmm. yep. which is a, uh, and they, I think they will have a similar organizational setup as the US, and. Um, I think that, that yeah, that might help. That is a bit more. Um, I agree. Uh, unified structure, basically, and uh, perhaps a bit more um, um, transparency, yeah, uh, independent and from Japan, and, yep. and that, they, that they can really make their decisions based on 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 yeah on Europe on the culture here, uh, like they do in the US, because there they clearly see what the US is demanding and uh, putting watches out there that the the, the crowd basically asks for. And I think they should do the same in Europe. And I have good hopes that with this new organization uh, that they will. Um, it will be steered from Paris or from France at least. And um, yeah, let's see how that will uh, work out. But um, it looks good, to be honest. Yeah. You know, your your, your comment about the uh, regional or country-specific models, I, I mean, I think this is one thing, you know, you've been to Japan. I mean, one one thing that struck me the first time I ever went there, I went into one of those uh, camera shops and there was a sign on the wall outside that said, if you are waiting outside overnight for a limited edition product, uh, please keep in mind there are neighbors nearby, so please remain quiet. Yeah. And there's such a, an incredible focus on limited products in Japan that I, I still think that that's going to be one cultural thing that remains uh, with Seiko and Grand Seiko, whatever market they're in. So I, I really think that, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be Japan, you know, making final decisions on products wherever they're sold. And something tells yeah. me that, yeah, there will always be an appetite to do special limited things that uh, get get fans excited. And um, yeah, I mean, I hear you about global availability of some things. I just think you're gonna you're gonna see you'll continue to see limited things. But uh, you know, on the other hand, I mean, that's it's sort of fun. And thankfully, you know, if something's available in another market, it's easier to get those things. Uh, through various uh, sellers or whatever um, than it was 10 years ago. It's just not quite as easy as uh, walking into your boutique. So, but it's also part of the fun, I think. And uh, I, I think in hindsight, everyone uh, wished that they got the Speedmaster Racing Japan Limited in 2004 yep. um, because it's a highly sought after model. Um, and perhaps the same will go for the Rising Sun and the, the Tokyo 2020 models uh, of the of the Speedmaster. 
Um, but it has become now more easy to acquire them because now you're more aware because the market is more transparent. Um, and I think, yeah, what I said is part of the fun, if something is only available in a certain country, it might be fun to be able to try to get one. But I also know from experience it's frustrating <laughs> when you are not able sure. to. <laughs> so sure. it's a bit, uh, yeah, two-edged sword there. Yeah, yeah. But, let, yeah, let's see what... Uh... Let's see what Seiko comes up with, and and you know the, the other thing I I uh, always forget to mention with them is that you know our site uh, we try our best to cover a lot of Seiko and Grand Seiko content because we know you love it, we we love it, and um, they do offer so many different models in different price ranges and you know every genre of watch really, um, but we can't cover everything. Um, and they truly show us, uh, or they have in the past, they've showed us just an amazing number of watches. And we've noticed when we meet with uh, them as part of kind of the Netherlands team. Um, and then I've met with them as part of the U S team. Sometimes there are different watches that they show or they focus on certain models. And I would just tell you that if you're traveling globally or you're near a Seiko boutique, uh, stop in because they might have something that you've never seen before that's been out for a year and it just either didn't get written up or isn't in your home region or yeah, maybe, maybe came out, um, and just hit stores. So there's, they have such a vast product line that there's always sort of a surprise in there. Like, um, you know, we covered that compass, uh, model recently, um, as part of the prospect series and okay, that that's a bit of an acquired taste, that model for some people just due to its odd shape and everything, but it's cool. It's super cool. And at 400 bucks or 300 something bucks, it's, it's approachable and it's got good specs. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. One, one last thing, because we, uh, I got some comments about how I pronounce Seiko. <laughs> it's really a tongue breaker for me because in the Netherlands, we say Seiko. And I know it sounds like Psycho, <laughs> <laughs> but in the Netherlands, we say Seiko. Yeah. And for, it's a, for us, it's a real tongue break to say Seiko like you, you say it. Yeah. Um, so people wondered why my pronunciation of, of uh, Seiko is uh, a bit weird, but that's why. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard in German because in German typically the uh, if you have e and i, you pronounce the second letter as a long letter. So Seiko would actually be Psycho over here. Um, But yeah, growing up it was always Seiko. We we pronounced it sort of like S A Y K O, you know, Seiko. And uh, but I've heard all kinds of things depending on where you are. But finally, when I went to Japan, I heard. Seiko. So <laughs> I kind of figured that they, they, they knew what they were, <laughs> they, they know what they're they doing. What there, they were right? talking about. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, okay. Well, good. We've been babbling on for an hour, so I think we should wrap up. Absolutely. So thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, episode 11. Um, we certainly will do our best to get back to you perhaps, um, even in the next week or so, because I think we'll have some yeah. news to talk about, but, um, yeah, stay safe out there. Wash those hands and um, twenty seconds. Yeah, let's uh, let's hope for some better news. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with you soon. 
Um, as always, um, follow us on the Fertillo Watches uh, Instagram page. Um, you can follow RJ at RJ Brewer, and I'm Mike at Mike in Frankfurt. And if you have any questions, you can write us at info at fratello.com. There we go. Thanks again. Talk to you soon.